0: Welcome, everybody, to the GBO Podcast, where we're talking Gamecock basketball only, brought to you by Modern Exterminating. We know what bugs you. As always, I'm Sumter. And I'm Bryce. And uh, joining us this week, we've got our old pal back on the pod this year uh, from the Gamecock Pod Daily and the Gamecock Pod Live, streaming on Wednesdays on YouTube,
1: uh, Keith Allset, Keith, how you doing? Happy basketball season, guys. Yes,
2: what a nice. great
1: it's nice to have a distraction from football.
2: Yes, even though eight, hey, you're two for two in November, and certainly Vanderbilt brought rain and joy to Williams-Brice Stadium yesterday.
1: Couldn't foot, couldn't feel my hands in the stadium. It was uh, it was miserably cold and wet. But the opposite of that in the Colonial Life Arena this week, a lot of winning for the men and women, which. I would say it was a rarity, but the men and the women would all win each week and go undefeated, not on the women's side mostly, but the men would, you know, occasionally win. But what a great first week of basketball. Some your thoughts.
0: Bryce, it couldn't have happened better. It couldn't – like, I don't think we could have gotten off to a better start uh, with – I mean, we talked about the Paris game with the women uh, last pod and uh, them obviously continuing – that today but also friday night uh don't know how many of y'all were staying up for it you know it's a friday night late night uh basket out of conference basketball game before a noon kickoff but if you stayed up for it you were you know it was it's it's as good an out of an out of conference basketball game as the men have played in a long time uh it was a lot of fun and this team this team can shoot y'all it's it, two games in and um, and
1: we've got some guys that can score. Who would have thought Studi from Vanderbilt, bench player, had a good junior year? Keith, did you
2: see him being this go-to three-point shooter starter for us? I did because two years ago he led the SEC in three-point shooting. He shot over 43%. And – Look, I know in the exhibition against Wofford, guys were tight. Nobody was making shots that night. But fast forward to USC Upstate, and then Friday night, so I I was at a high school playoff game, and it was raining. And so instead of being on the sideline, I was up in the press box. And I started watching the game on my phone. And... I watched most of the game on my phone, and then we went to dinner after, and I finished watching the game in a Mexican restaurant, drinking a Corona premiere, and it was beautiful. My good friend, Mike Young, who has built a tremendous program at Virginia Tech, I mean, let's face it, this guy is one of the most respected coaches in basketball. For South Carolina to take them down on a neutral floor, and you look at the difference in Lamont Paris' coaching from last year to this year, you look at him drawing up specific plays for specific players, none bigger than the final basket by B.J. Mack when he just went full Aliyah Boston bully ball worked his way down to the block, went underneath. And then the Gamecocks win the game with defense. Great defense there at the end. And I said it uh, before the season, my expectations for this team was much higher because B.J. Mack was wanted by a lot of programs. Miles Studi, Talon Cooper, they all could have gone to big-time power five programs. And then you look at Michi Johnson playing off the ball, better Jacoby Wright. And guys, from my source inside the program, they're without their second-best or maybe best player in Colin Murray Boyles. Prior to him getting mono, he was considered – either number one or number two best player on the team. Right. So Keith, Keith, we did our, we
0: did our season preview uh, before the USC upstate game and before it, and before Murray Boyles had gotten mono and we were pretty optimistic. I've even gotten some pushback from some friends and some listeners about how, about how I might have too high of an expectations here where I think this team is going to be, is, is going to be on the bubble. Uh, and I think is going to have a shot at being. And, and I think that there is a real possibility that they have a shot at at maybe sneaking into the tournament, maybe the last four in, you know, something like that. Um, and we haven't even seen Murray Boyles play yet. Keith, are my expectations for this too high? Am I out? of? Am I just out of my element here?
2: Well, Sumter, I would never say that. I would say my expectations are not as high as
0: yours. (laughs) There you go.
2: I I would simply say that I think with the tough schedule this team will face in conference, okay, and out of conference, even though you did get the dub over the Hokies, if this is an NIT team this year and they make some noise or not, I think that is a huge success for Lamont Paris. And I do like this team for me personally to sneak into the NIT. I'm not, I mean, if they make the NCAA tournament, Lamont Paris will probably be the national coach of the year, okay? But when you look at B.J. Mack, Michi Johnson, Miles Studi, Talon Cooper, okay, Stephen Clark, these are older guys. And then if Colin Murray Boyles can regain the weight prior, you know, let's say by December – mid-December, if he can get back to where he was, Morris from Finland, and Zachary Davis. I mean, this is an older, more talented, deeper team across the board compared to last year, in my opinion. I mean, look, Josh Gray's hurt, too. I mean, BBV would not even be playing if Murray boils and Josh gray were healthy, but I mean, he gave you seven rebounds in 15 minutes. If you listen Um,
1: to the show, Keith, we don't care for BBV, but this year, but this This year he has done fine. He has done fine this year.
2: Look, I, I am not the biggest BBV fan. I mean, there was one point after the season where it looked like South Carolina may get a big time transfer and the BBV was just going to go on and go to law school. Uh, that guy wound up going in the NBA draft and is currently in the G league, but he did okay. I mean, he gave you one made field goal. He gave you seven uh rebounds in 15 minutes and only had one turnover. And he got the fouls, you know,
1: he gave the minutes and give gave Mac some time to breathe. Because without Gray, it was Mac the Mac show pretty much. And on a side note, how nice is it to have a center that just takes the ball one on one and can go score? When's the last time we had that? Silva Coatsar? I don't even know if Coetzee would go one on one. Silva, I would think, was the last dominant. Even that post up
0: move, though, that, like that play they called up. I mean, Silva's not even doing that. Like, like they would not, they would not have called that play for Silva. And and I mean, you're not going to see any bigger Chris Silva fans than than us on this pod. But just it's a style of play that Silva didn't play down low. I mean, they basically cleared everyone out, and 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 Paris just called the play. Just you're bigger than this guy, you're better than this guy. We're going to get you one on one, post him up. If they double, there'll be a guy open in the corner who will bang home a three. And that was the play, and um, and and it and it worked to perfection.
1: And then you have Cooper who has a little weight on him, so anytime we play a team that has a skinny, tiny point guard, he can back them up and go score on the block, too.
2: That's impressive. Alon Cooper kind of reminds me of Marcus Smart because Marcus Smart and Drew Holiday, by the way, one former and one current Boston Celtic. Those guys, because of their size and strength, can play in the post. And I really like that. But, man, Miles Studi, what a big-time game. Five of seven from the field, three of four from downtown I mean, they, he was just huge.
0: Yes, and uh, the, the other, the, the wonderful thing about Studi and Cooper, and it was present in this game, is that they give the team the two of them combined
2: give now the that team. That the first game. half. Sorry, I was looking in the first half box. Right. Over okay. Twenty-one points, seven of eleven, and five from six from downtown, and two of two from the free throw line, five rebounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes,
0: he had he had a fantastic game. And one of the things about him and Cooper that I just think are just are just so much fun to watch with this team. And it was clear against Upstate and it was really clear last night or Friday night. Excuse me. Um, They can they both can kind of play big like like you can get away with playing Cooper as your four. And they and Paris did it a, a good bit Friday night. Uh, you can get away with playing Cooper as your four, especially if he's got Studi in there at the three, and then all of a sudden it's a team in which y- you've got five guys out there that can score. Like I, I love, love, love every time they go Mac or BBV, one of one of the two, uh, and then Cooper, uh, Studi, Michi. And Jacoby Wright, where where you basically put five guys, especially when it's Mac, all five guys can hit a three point shot. Like if if if, if any of them are open, they the, they'll hit a shot. And for they got a little outsized, like down the stretch, Virginia Tech was doing some stuff inside to us that that got a little problematic, but it didn't really matter because every time they would post us up,
1: we'd come down, we'd hit a corner three. And how hard is the corner three? I can't believe how many corner threes we hit. It's like the hardest three on the on the court. No, it's the it's the highest efficiency shot on the court. Because well, uh, maybe that's in the NBA because
0: it's closer in the NBA. I I might be equating it to the college game here differently, but um, but it's it's a shot that you've got to be able to hit because it's it's what gets left open and it's getting left open and uh, or it has been against both Upstate and this game. And Studi and Cooper are knocking them down.
2: So I thought, and neither of you guys have mentioned it, the gutsiest move with about four minutes left in that game. Paris takes Michi Johnson out and sits in the rest of the game and puts Jacoby right out there. And all he did was make big play after big play, going down close to the box, drawing a foul, knocking down free throws, hitting a baseline jump shot, and then being in on that loose ball on the tie-up at the end.
1: He plays defense 24-7. I think that's why Lamont trusts him down the stretch. And I will only say the only thing he did wrong was foul the three-point shooter, which made me say a bad word. But outside of that, we got down two or three. I was a little worried. But He'll he be right down. He no, goes, like, do no wrong, Bryce.
0: That was a BS call. He didn't yeah, sell that uh, three that,
2: that was a horrible call. That was a horrible call. Well, it I was mean, TV Teddy.
1: TV Teddy was making calls. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, that's what he does. But look, this team this team last year, had they led the entire game, and then Virginia Tech hits a three or gets fouled and makes three free throws to take the lead. They would have folded like a cheap suit or an accordion, in, in
0: less, unless unless Meechie Johnson buried a couple of thirty-five foot threes like that. That would have been the that would have been the recipe for this, and that would have been the play you would have gotten last year. Would have been a very very deep three from Michi.
1: But here's the greatness this year, Keith. If Michi has a bad game, you have other guards that can come in. Last year we were playing walk ons. No no offense to Sparkman. But he shouldn't be playing in the last four minutes of a game, and you're trying to win against a quad one, quad two team.
0: Yeah, we've we got, we got we got five guys. We've got we've got five guys that I trust with the basketball down the stretch to get us a bucket. Mac, Cooper, um, Michi, Studi, and Jacoby, and uh, and 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 down the stretch to to kind of what I'm saying here. You know, they they go up three, making those three three free throws. Jacoby Wright comes down the court, takes a shot, gets fouled, buries the free throw. Then on the next possession, they foul him. He goes to the line and makes them both. And um, it, it just, it absolutely dynamite. There's a stat here. So the officiating, we, we've we only loosely mentioned. There was one point in time where Virginia Tech had taken like 15 free throws and we had taken two. And uh, we finished the game taking Eight. Um, We don't miss one until B.J. Mack misses it with two seconds left. This team went seven for eight from the line. We needed every single one of them. And that is something I, – I don't know when the last time we've seen a South Carolina basketball team win a basketball game because they were making free throws down the stretch. Darren
1: Horn would be so sad because he said free throws don't matter.
0: Well,
2: so, you know. Darren Horn don't matter. <laughs> that <got> the correct.
0: <laughs> That's so, correct.
2: Think about this, guys. Think about BJ Mack, Colin Murray Boyles. Okay, Miles Studi, Talon Cooper, and Michi Johnson, and then coming off the bench with Clark, Jacoby Wright, Josh um, Gray. Josh Gray, and Zachary Davis, who may be the true player on the team. I mean, that's nine guys, okay, that I think – and look, I'm just going to say this right now. Everybody thought he was going red shirt. He's gained weight. He's very skilled. He's long. He's got a great skill set. I think by SEC time, Morris from Finland – is uh, going to be in that guard rotation. Yeah, I mean, Sumpter, they, they, yeah. went him, they went to him uh, for a little while in that game against Virginia Tech.
1: Now, Sumter and I were talking, we were a little worried about you know his red shirt. Like, if he's going to play, he better play and matter. So, because yeah. that red shirt, that's what we were thinking early on in the year. Ahead, this, and this, this bothers
0: me way more than it bothers other people, I think. But just like, like if, if, if we're going to burn the kid's red shirt, then he he needs to be part of the nine or 10 man rotation. And with, and when Murray Boyles comes back, like we, we got a lot of bodies looking for minutes here. You, you, you know, he, he right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight guys played more minutes than him last night. And, uh, and that doesn't count Josh Gray and Colin Murray Boyles both being sick, you know. And so, I if if this guy's really good, and, and he wants to, you, you know, it's also the it's also the transfer portal. I totally get it. Like this is this is not the this is not your college, your father's college you know college basketball team. In that, like, you need to get these guys minutes now. But just burning the red shirt, I don't know if I like it because I think he's. I you know I I don't think he's going to factor into the rotation once it starts to shrink a little bit.
2: All right, so I'll say this and not to play devil's advocate, but you have three guards. That's it. You've got Talon Cooper and Michi Johnson. We know Johnson's proud of uh, prone to foul trouble. That's true. Okay, then you got Jacoby Wright. You're one injury away from Zach Moore's Davis, third guard.
1: He's a more of a wing now. Davis. That's isn't, true. Uh, but what okay. about what about uh, Diva? Diva's there, but he's not he the same. Didn't play that. last night. I know, but when I saw him play, he is not explosive. And when you tear your Achilles, it kind of takes your explosiveness away, right, Keith? You're a basketball guy.
2: All right, so I'm going to say this. And, and I've talked to people with very good sources inside the program, the Achilles is the worst possible injury for a basketball player because they're, you're just not, not going to be the same. I mean, unless you're a seven-foot freak like Kevin Durant, who likes to be listed at 6'11 because he doesn't want to be a seven-footer but even he's not been he's not the same as he was pre injury and from what i've been told they just don't expect ebo to be close to the same kind of guy he was at coastal and well if
0: that's true if 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 that's true then i totally agree with you that maybe getting that it's worth getting yagusic some minutes here because we don't want to be burning the red shirt in the middle of SEC play with him getting his first minutes of, of his career, um, you, you know, getting him a, a feel for the rotation. That's, that's probably good. Spend some, we, we've got some, we've got some cupcakes on the, on the non-con here, you know, get, get, get him, get the guy some minutes, let him get a feel for it. That's, I will concede. That's totally good. I will not complain about the Morris red shirt uh, anymore this season.
2: So here's the thing: If he's really that good, is he going to stay four more years?
0: That's the other thing. Yep, you're you're right. This is not my father's SEC. You, you know, like it's not. <laughs> it, it it's it's a new era. You're correct.
2: And uh, according to uh, two of my guys, with a very very good source inside the program, this guy is skilled and he caught them off guard with how well he played this summer and he's gaining weight, uh, the nutrition, the strength, the size is coming. And I think they fully expect him to be a guy. Look, I'm not saying he's going to play 15 to 20 minutes a game, but if he gives you eight minutes, eight valuable minutes a night, And on occasion, 10 or 11, some nights maybe it's five or six good minutes. That's still going to be critical uh, when you're playing quality opponents and you're not wanting your main guys to get gassed.
1: Keith, what are your thoughts on Stephen Clark? He's starting the games, and maybe starting the second half, but he's not getting a lot of minutes after that. What do you think that is? Not ready yet for this level or just trying to feel his way out?
2: What is it? I think it's probably both, Bryce, to be honest. Like, he's not really an SEC five at 208 pounds, right? He He's not physical enough, but they do like him enough to start him. But again, if Murray Boyles is healthy, you know, I still think Clark probably plays before BBV. Does, uh, But you've also got Josh Gray. And so I think this thing will work itself out provided Colin Murray Boyles is able to gain the weight because I do know, you know, he had lost a lot of weight. He really transformed his body in that year out at Utah and then over the summer. And so all he had to lose was good weight, was muscle mass. And that's what mono does. And I know this was way before your time, but the last basketball player at South Carolina, I remember getting mononucleosis was Brian Winters, his junior year. And it took him out for like 20 games of his junior year. Now, obviously in the 40 years since then, or 50 years, there's been, uh, significant advancements in modern medicine. And so I think the hope is within three to four more weeks that he'll be able to wrap up and get back.
1: The goal, I guess we were talking earlier a few pods ago, I guess our goal was, this, I was saying that Colin Murray Boyles by SEC play, if he was healthy, could be starting either at the four or the five, you know, switching, I don't know, between Mac or him at four or five. But anyway, um, and I would think if he's healthy and he's killing it, you could have Clark coming off the bench as that three-point shooter, kind of sub in, get a couple minutes, couple steal some points. And I thought that would be the honest setup. So I'm curious to see once we get him, let's say, what do you think, end of December, at least by SEC play, maybe getting back, how much better does this team get with him playing?
2: Well, I mean – if he misses all these non-conference games, I think that puts him behind on the learning curve. Like, he's obviously very talented. He faced a big-time competition. But, I mean, you would really like for him to, to be playing against VMI and Grand Canyon or. San Francisco, and George Washington, and Notre Dame, and Clemson, and East Carolina, and particularly, if you could get him back, and he can play, this would be December 16, so this would be still over a month from now. If he could be back by the Charleston Southern game. So exams are after East Carolina. They have a week off for exams. If he can come back and start playing against Charleston Southern, Winthrop, Elon, Florida, A&M, and get those four games under his belt before you go into conference play, then I think you feel a lot better about it than – if his first game is Florida A&M or it's Mississippi State in January.
0: Keith, question for you. Have we
2: heard anything about about his timetable or have you
0: potentially heard anything about uh, his timetable? Is that – is December 16th, is that –
2: do you think that's reasonable? I do. I've heard three to four weeks they think he could be back, three to four weeks. And so three weeks – would put him, you know, that East Carolina game on December the 9th. Well, if he's not ready to go, I'm giving him another full week, okay, until Charleston Southern. That's a road game in Greenville. That's going to be a tougher opponent. And then he gets really what should be four cupcakes to, uh, in the not to end the non con Charleston Southern, Winthrop, Elon, and Florida AM. Not taking anything away from those teams, but I mean, guys, we beat Arkansas for, you know, BJ Mack and, and Virginia Tech, and the same for, for Miles Studi. I mean, these guys could have gone to some big time Power Five programs. I was thinking, I was thinking at
1: least when we're talking non-conference schedule a little lighter this year. But I think it works with this team, right? You get them to gel, you get some wins under your belt, and how great would it be to be twelve and one or thirteen and zero going to SEC play? That have that behind you, and just you you work on those bottom feeders of the SEC and try to steal a few big games at home. Well, well, Bryce, to to, to that point,
0: we kind of talked about the non-con. Um, about you know 11 and 2, 12 and 1. The fact I, I don't ever think I said they were going 13 and 0, even though people have told me this. Um, but but uh, but I said they could like that the schedule is weak enough that it's that I think it, it could be in the cards. But I will say this 12 and 1, something like that, it's a lot easier after Friday night because that Virginia Tech game, that Virginia Tech team was. Was the hardest opponent, or or second hardest opponent, depending on what rating metric you want to look at, that they had on the schedule. Um, They, I think that they'll be favored in every game they in every non-con game they play from here on out, with the exception of at Clemson. And Clemson
1: almost lost today. They came back late on Davidson, but I'm glad UAB UAB. You no, know, Clemson played Davidson today. They were down 20 in the first half.
0: Oh, oh so my, my bad. They were playing UAB Friday night with us, Yeah, and yep. and and they barely beat them.
1: Yeah, but they came back and won, and they are P.J. Hall and a couple scrubs that go around them with them. So I'm just saying that we, we played with Clemson last year. Hall wasn't 100%. I'm just saying we can compete with them, I think. If we make 10 plus threes in any game and you don't have stupid turnovers – a good amount of those, I think this team can play with anybody. And that's just a leg up from last year, being competitive against good teams.
2: So I think for me, obviously that's a great win against Virginia Tech, but you're going to travel to the Western time zone this weekend. And you're going to play DePaul on your biological clock at 1130 at night. The fighting Chico Carters. Okay. Then you're going to play Grand Canyon or San Francisco. Granted, that should be a dub. Then you're going to fly Keith, back I'm on.
0: on. I'm going to stop you for one second. So, like, Ken Pomeroy's got Grand Canyon at 82 and San and San Francisco at 86. Like, like the, those are two outside of Clemson. They are the two highest ranked teams on our schedule that he's got ranked on our schedule. He's for for context, he's got
1: DePaul at 170. Well, let's just beat them and have a quad two win. How's that sound?
2: What about Notre Dame?
1: Oh, they're having their palm was like 160,
0: wasn't it? It, It's fallen down to 200 since since we did the since we did the uh, since we did the preview. Like literally of of potential, we're it, it, it looks like we'll play either. Grand Canyon or San Francisco, they're 82 and 86. The only other top 100 Ken team we've got on the non-con is Clemson at
2: 49. Wow. So I'm sure. So Carolina was at 66. We're, we're up to
0: 57.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, that is at the bubble right now.
0: Pitt, Pitt, Pitt and VCU were 59 and 60 and we're in the, and we're, and we're in the first
1: four. Well, guys, I mean, let's, it's, it's going to be an interesting it's year. It's going to be fun watching this team and getting excited about winning games and having games that matter in February and March.
2: No doubt. So, hey, let me tell you who does like a corner three. What's that? Raven Johnson. That's it. right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> How so about... He, Popeye, likes the corner threes.
1: Well, let's switch it to women's basketball because I'm thinking, is this the best opening week for Dawn Saley since she's been here?
0: Yes. Yeah, it's the best opening week for any head coach in the history of women's
2: basketball. Like, yeah. (laughs) All right, so just a couple of facts here. And uh, if if, uh, Kelly Conway is listening, these are not alternative facts. These are actual facts, okay? The Notre Dame game was South Carolina's largest margin of victory over a top 10 opponent in school history. It was also Notre Dame's worst opening season loss in school history. And today, it was the most points South Carolina has ever, ever scored against a ranked opponent and is the largest margin of victory in school history over a ranked opponent. You have to go all the way back to 1980. The Gamecocks beat number 16, Clemson, 89-55, to a 34-point margin of victory, 29 points over Notre Dame. Almost a, they almost broke off a 40-piece. On Brenda Freeze and South Carolina trailed 32 to 31 with three minutes to go in the first half. And from that point, they outscored Maryland 83 to 44 over the final 23. Wow. Wow.
1: And if it wasn't for about six or seven ticky tack fouls, they would have had a lot less points.
2: Guys, South Carolina started three of eleven from three, and Maryland started seven of eleven from three. This was I I I, I uh, put a big box around that. Okay, in the fourth quarter, when we emptied the bench, we were like eleven for twenty-two or eleven for twenty-one from three. And Maryland wound up. Uh, I mean, they just didn't did not make shots in the second half from three. They Keith, they ended up they were seven for eleven. They wound up ten for twenty two. They went Keith, for their final eleven. Keith,
1: have you noticed a pattern that these like Notre Dame and Maryland? They give us all they got in that first quarter, and it feels like they're like both of them playing out of their minds, and then all of a sudden we bring in our backups, our second string, and there's no drop-off. Other teams, even these ranked teams, bring in their backups. There's a noticeable drop-off, and that's when we build it and take it up to a next level. And then in the fourth quarter, you bring in the third string, and they're still competing and putting up points. How many points do we have in the fourth quarter today?
2: 37. 37 to 17 was the margin in the fourth quarter. They
1: scored 98
0: points. They scored 98 points in the second, third, and fourth quarter.
1: Yeah. It's just this team, the difference between this team and last year's team is when our center, we have a new center this year, not sub Boston out for Cardoso. When they try to triple team her, we can dish it out to three or four girls that can hit a three from anywhere. That's the difference in this team this year. There is no more triple teaming your centers when it, all three or four of the girls on the court can hit a 3 and make it consistently.
2: Yes, yes. Dr. And like hmm. Brenda Freeze, who is a national championship coach, the first words out of her mouth in the post game, South Carolina is better this year than they were last year. And I will remind you in the Elite game, elite Eight game last year in Greenville, Maryland led South Carolina 21 to 15 at the end of the first quarter. South Carolina blitzed them in the second quarter 23 for, uh, to nine. But in that game, Maryland shot 50% from the field and they shot 50% from three. Okay, they play fast. They have a system. They have a lot of returning players. Uh, Sellers, Briggs, Alexander. You add uh, Ja'Kai Brown-Turner, who is a really nice player. Uh, Brianna McDaniel last year. And today, they only shot 40. 0.8%, and they started off hot from three, but like I said, in the second half, not so much. Three for 11, they did end up shooting 45%, but if you go to that Notre Dame game, South Carolina held Notre Dame to under 33% from the field in that game and 6 for 20 so they were 25 for 76 32.9% and 6 of 20 from 3 well
0: i think that I, I think it's important to note that you know Bryce and I the the three of us have have been we're saying this all last year and and in the entire offseason on our pod and on your pod that that um last year the, the the second string was not better than the first string but just as good and brought a different level of energy i believe that you uh that 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 you refer to Bree hall as coming in in go mode you know like 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 last year when she would be coming off the bench and that's just what that's they've now become the starters and that's just what they're hitting these these folks with and they they will not defend as well as last year's team did uh, uh down the stretch if they play a team with with if they play a team with with really big ladies on it, it they might struggle defensively a little bit but one thing is definitely clear at the start of this season is that this team can score the basketball they can shoot they're going to run they're going to get out in transition And and they are better, they are
1: absolutely better offensively than they were last year. Sumter, don't be surprised if Chloe Kitts and Watkins and Fagan get that mean streak and the defense is as good as last year. What are your thoughts, Keith?
2: I think stylistically, here's the difference. And Dawn Staley pointed this out in her postgame. Is because this team is going to play faster and they are going to score more and shoot the ball quicker. She said, I don't think I could slow Raven down even if I tried, okay? By playing at a faster rate, you're going to create more more possessions for your opponents. So through two games, South Carolina – Held Notre Dame to below 33% shooting. Maryland, as we know, they shoot the basketball. 50% from the field last year against South Carolina in the Elite Eight. But Ashlyn Watkins, five blocks, a double-double off the bench. Chloe Kitts, a double-double.
0: Oh, I'm not I'm not oh, so. trying to say that this team won't be able to defend. I'm just simply saying that what that the mark of what made you, you know Aaliyah Boston and Breed Beal and, and Zia Cook and Victoria Saxton uh and Letitia Amahare, what 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 made them you, you know what what caused them in the last two seasons to lose a total of three basketball games uh was the fact that they're the one of the, that they might be the best defensive women's basketball we, team we've ever seen, and no, that's that. what I'm saying is that this team is not going to be the best defensive women basketball team of all time. However, they're still going to they're still I think y'all are both right. They're still going to be very very good defensively, and guys, offensively. Sky's the limit, as we've seen. To put this kind of in a little con- in a little bit of context, last year, how many times in the entire season did they score a hundred points?
2: Bryce was three. three fingers. I think it was three. Yeah, I mean it. It was no more than three or four times. Twice, twice
0: they did it against uh, against East Tennessee State and Coastal Carolina. All right, not number ten and number fourteen in the AP poll. They're like, like, like. when And the last time that the that the women's team has scored a hundred points against a ranked team takes us all the way back to two thousand and one. Uh, in January two thousand and one, they beat Arkansas one hundred and four to eighty two. Arkansas was ranked fifteenth, and so like. And they just did this twice in back to the, the first two games of the season.
2: Like God bless, you, you, the, that, that was made in pres- twenty twenty. Well, yeah, the the Arkansas win, uh, January eighteenth of twenty one. Yeah, they scored one hundred and four against number fifteen Arkansas. That was oh, like Aaliyah Boston had like. 20 rebounds and 29 points, or something crazy, in that game, right? They, they probably did not do it by uh,
0: by taking but by, by going 12 for 24 from three.
1: No, they did not. No, isn't it kind of scary that I know this is weird to say? Full Wiley and Cardoso today had decent games, but they didn't have great games. But you have other people just shine. Even if some of the best the girls don't have, they have good games but not great games. You have other people that just shine. Chloe Kitts today had a little mean streak that kind of came out today. What
2: are your thoughts, Keith? So she's feisty. She's tough. I think she's got to, when she misses, I think she's got to slow down a little bit and gather herself instead of It worked one time. She just threw it back up and in while she was falling down, but she missed a couple. But for me, I thought the player that was a real game changer, uh, particularly in that run to end the half, Silky Smooth, Tessa Johnson, the Minnesota Player of the Year, McDonald's All-American, the winner of the three-point shooting contest in the McDonald's All-America game. I just thought she had an unbelievable series down the stretch in the second quarter of that game. She um, has a three to give the Gamecocks the lead. Then she steals it. She's driving the basket. She gets tripped up. She throws a left-handed pass, whips it to Pow Pow in the opposite corner for another three, okay, back-to-back threes. And then later in the half, she gets uh, a steal. After she scored again, she gets a steal and dishes it off to Saniya Jha for an and one, although Ja did miss the free throw. But I thought she really steadied the ship and she is just silky smooth, guys. She plays with great pace. She's got beautiful form on her jump shot. Four of seven from the field, two of four from downtown. Two or three from the free throw line, seven rebounds, and four assists. I thought she was outstanding today.
1: How lucky are we that we start a game with Johnson and Pow Pow and you have Full Wiley and Johnson coming off the bench behind them? There's no drop-off.
2: And at some point, you could have Johnson and Johnson in the (laughs) backcourt. It's just this team, there's potential – and skill everywhere. Well, I mean, Don talked about it in the post game. Like it's hot, like they feel very comfortable playing nine. She knows what she's going to get with Ja. You know, somebody could fall below her. So Ja. I mean, she was seven points, three for four from the field, only one of three from the free throw line. But she's tough. She guards, and she can score the ball. I mean, she led Mont Verde Academy to the national championship, and in the preseason, everybody thought she was going to be a McDonald's All-American, and she didn't make it. But don't sleep on Sanaya John. I mean, seven points in four minutes and plus eight. Yeah. I mean, what's that over 30 minutes <laughs> per then- thirty?
1: And then then Ashley Watkins-Sumter, she played – I mean, you looked up and you're like, wow, she's already got a double-double. It's just – she is just the model of consistency too. Y'all, I don't even know where to start in talking about this team. They
0: scored 114 points, and the leading scorer had only 14 points.
2: Balance. (laughs) So Brenda Freeze in her post-game – said, I don't think I've ever heard of a team having seven players in double figures. Okay, and to your point on Ashlyn Watkins, Don Staley pointed this out, Chloe Kitts earning that starting spot has just challenged and made Ashlyn Watkins all that more competitive to want to dominate when she goes in. I mean, you look at her stat line 13 points, 5 for 10, 3 of 5, 11 rebounds, 2 assists, 5 block shots and 1 steal in 17 minutes. And she's plus 20, Ashlyn Watkins, when she's on the floor, plus 20. She did all of that in 16 minutes.
0: 16 minutes. Tessa I Johnson. Mean,
2: says, says 17 on the uh, live stats. But okay. 16
0: I, I'm I'm on Gamecocks online here, here uh, but uh, they have they have Tessa they have Ashlyn Watkins at 16, Tessa Johnson at 18, and and Full Wiley at 14. All of whom in double figures in less than 20 minutes. I mean that's just that's
1: just insane. Would you say Keith, the only girl on this team that's probably not ready to roll yet is the Walker girl, the Druco? I, is that, I feel like that's the only girl that comes in and I go, I don't know
2: if she's ready yet. So I did not think she was ready to catch a pass from Malaysia full Wiley. Evidently, they've not played much together in the preseason. I was encouraged that she hit three for four from the free throw line after she missed her first one. She hit three in a row. She's a very skilled player, guys, and she's 6'6". I think it's going to take more time, and I think she is the 11th player on this team right now, but she'd be starting for maybe 70 or 80, 90 programs if there's 130 Division One teams. When basketball, there's like 300 Division One teams, so... Probably like 280 teams, right? Like I don't know that she's an elite player, but I, you know, I mean, if you're blowing out top 10 and top 15 teams, she's going to get a lot of run this year. I mean, you're just going to keep doing it because I mean, who you sit out, you sit down the starters, and then you're still playing, like. Probably uh, Sakima Walker, Sanaya John Full Wiley, Tessa Johnson, and either Fagan or Watkins. I mean, that's your bottom five.
0: The good five. It's a good five. It's, I mean, it's, that's a five that would be ranked and would do some damage in the NCAA tournament.
2: That's three McDonald's All-Americans. Yeah,
0: yeah. A lot of a lot of teams would kill for that five.
2: Yeah. That's so. Five.
0: Before we get out of here, to put this in a little bit of context, okay, we we've just had the best start of the season as I think you could script, and a couple of our friends out there haven't so much had the best start of the season as you could script. Uh, we, we we had uh, uh, Keith's favorite person in the world, Kim Mulkey, in LSU dropping that game to Colorado, and then um, and then right after our game on national television. Old friend uh Sanaya Rivers and NC State beating 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 UConn and kind of beating them pretty handily, beating them by 10, 10, or 12 points. I did not, I only watched the end, but uh but yeah, we got the the overwhelming favorites to be number one and number two uh by everyone in the media are already dropping a game. Guys, what are your what are your thoughts, especially with an AP poll coming out on Monday?
1: Well Keith's favorite team, LSU. The first thing I thought going into this season, they had too many stars going on to one team, and they were lacking one thing. Those stars didn't play a lot of defense. Van Wythe didn't play a lot of defense. Morrow got destroyed by the Colorado players. Colorado looked more physical I think Reese has always been good, but when you have that many stars and you don't have Don Staley on, you are coaching it to where it keep everything in check. It seemed like they didn't know who to go to in a clutch moment. What are your thoughts Keith on LSU?
2: So Kim sulky looked like she had just been sucking on a lemon and don't even get me started on that outfit she was wearing. Okay. I don't know if that was leftover from Halloween I don't know if that was from Jim Carrey's portrayal as the Riddler in uh, the Batman movie. I don't know what that was. Maybe it was a Porter Wagner tribute. Uh, But here's what they don't have. They don't have a real point guard. Alexis Morris is what made them different last year. They don't have that. Okay, Michaela Williams, the freshman was probably their is probably their best player right now. Okay, I do like um the two freshmen that played last year for them. And we all know Angel Reese. I mean there, there's a lot of players that are out to get theirs at LSU. Angel Reese, is about getting hers. Anissa Morrow was two for nine from the field against Colorado. She's not at DePaul that, anymore. That Welcome to big-time college basketball. Okay, now they are talented, and Kim Mulkey is a Hall of Fame coach, but they don't have a guard that can get by anybody right now because the girl from Louisville, the little left-hander. And with she, she's a uh, Haley van She's a score. She's not going past many guards on top 15 teams. I mean, I don't think she's going by our guards. I mean, I remember when we played Louisville in the final four, she got, one field goal attempt off in the entire first half of that national semifinal. And so look, Kim Mulkey will get them right, but guys, I I may be driving to Baton Rouge for that game. I mean, that, that game.
0: Yeah. I don't know. A a, a little bit about, however, about what you're talking about. So, like, LSU, they played a really not good non-con last year. Um, Colorado, the Colorado game that they just lost is better than any team that they played on their non-con last year. And then they got the luxury of playing a weak SEC schedule last year. It was basically them, us, and Tennessee. Ole Miss came on a little strong at the end, but that was basically it. Uh, however, if you're just in the final four, just pulling up box scores, Alexis Morris against Virginia Tech in the final four game, uh, twenty-one points, nine assists. Alexis Morris in the uh, in in the championship. Um, excuse me, I read that backwards. Alexis Morris in the uh, final four game against Virginia Tech, twenty-seven points, and then in the championship game against Iowa, twenty-one points, nine assists. Like. She was their glue, and she was a lot better than she got credit for. I think Angel Reese came, would w- transferred from Maryland last year, and came in and, and took some of the and and that was the big news with Mulkey, you, you know, in her first year at LSU, bringing in the big transfer. And clearly, she can bring in the transfers. She brought in Murrow and, and Van Lith, but um, but bringing in losing Alexis Morris. Is a big loss for them, and they don't really have a point guard. They don't I mean, have Raven I, Johnson.
2: I mean, I like Jay Johnson. I like Samaya Smith. Okay, like I said, Michaela Williams, y'all. She is a she is a big girl. I mean, I did not realize she's a two guard, built like a power forward. And then you got Van Lith, Angel Reese. I mean, I don't really know who else is going to play a lot of minutes for them other than Morrow and I guess uh Kateri Poole, but they don't really have a point guard. And Van Lith is only 5'7. Okay. I mean, uh, Angelica Valleja, she's 5'7". Yeah,
0: and then if it's, we look over at the UConn game, mm-hmm. at, at, at the UConn-NC State game that, that, that happened today, um, you, you know, Beckers and, and, and Leah Edwards played great. You know, Beckers had 27, Leah Edwards had 21, but just – they just didn't – they don't have – they definitely don't have the depth the Gamecocks have. I will say that about UConn. Now you can argue that Paige Beckers is potentially the best player in the country. Um, but, uh, and, and that is believable. Her is a freshman and sophomore. We, the, the university of South Carolina learned how good she was, but, uh, but I'll tell you, she doesn't um, have help. She doesn't yeah, have help. She does not have the help
2: that the Gamecocks have. So you could argue this UConn roster is the most talented roster that Geno has had in the last seven years. On paper. On paper. KK Ar- All right. So I'm gonna tell you, KK Arnold is legit. Okay. Cadence Samuels, she is legit. Okay. Um, Ice Brady. Caroline Deschampe. Iana Patterson. Aubrey Griffin, AZ Fudd. I mean, of course, Aaliyah Edwards and Beckers. So I think here's what's arguable: you could argue Paige Beckers is the second best player in the country. I don't think Paige Beckers, athletically as a five-tool player, comes close to Caitlin Clark. In my opinion, Caitlin Clark is the best player in the country. Period. Plus, she gets the Michael Jordan rules. I mean, except in the national championship game, she gets the full extension of the left arm anytime she wants it. Okay, she scored 44 against Virginia Tech, and on ESPN, the picture of her is her going up for a right-handed layup with her left arm in the chest of her opponent fully extended. And
0: and, and that was a big win for them, too. I mean, Virginia Tech's ranked eighth, you know, and Virginia Tech was in the Final Four last
2: year. Softer than melted butter, Virginia Tech. Bryce and I sat right there and watched them melt down in the Final Four and blow a double-digit lead. And their players are laughing, walking down the court for LSU to shoot free throws to ice the game away. They were just happy to be there. And Elizabeth Kitley, she would not want any of Ashlyn Watkins or Camilla Cardoso. Okay. She would probably go crying into her mother's arms if she had to play against them. All right,
1: guys, looking at the AP polls going to be coming out tomorrow around lunchtime, where do you think the Gamecocks? We're at six. Where do you think they move
2: up to after this? Not, week? Not, not. Oh, AP, AP, AP. So I think- I'm gonna go with what Brenna Freeze said and on the broadcast. Uh, my girl Carolyn Peck, a national championship coach. Look, Iowa does have the win over Virginia Tech. That's one win, but I don't think they won by 29 or 38, okay? Nobody has one win as good as either of South Carolina's wins, and nobody has two blowout wins over top 15 opponents. Look, I'd like for this team to be able to go under the radar, but the radar was broken. It was shattered today, all right? This team deserves to be ranked number one in the country. I think when the coaches poll comes out, they will be number one in the coaches poll. I'm not so sure about the AP. I still think it may be Iowa number one and South Carolina a close number two.
0: I think they'll be number two. I think Iowa – I think Iowa will – you know, Caitlin – for the same reason Caitlin Clark gets the Jordan rules, she'll keep the number one ranking – Um, I think now if now if if last year if Iowa had done this you you know as as the number six seed and and South Carolina and uh, and and I forget who was number two to start the season last year but uh, but but in South and South Carolina had dropped a game I'm absolutely positive Iowa would have passed us anyway I think I think I think they'll jump to number two. I think that um I think that I will be number one. Keith, they only beat they beat Virginia Tech 80 to 76.
2: Yeah. And so I it was mean,
0: close. Close game. Virginia Tech could have had them, you know, if they had called one or two elbows from Caitlin Clark correctly, you know, it's a it's a different basketball game. But uh, but yeah, it's amazing. They were for the entirety, they were the number one ranked team the entire year on every ballot with the exception of one guy that voted Indiana one time last year for the entire regular season, they lost, what, seven players? And in one week, they're going to get first-place votes. They will get some first-place votes in the AP, and they might be ranked higher than Iowa.
2: So the last time South Carolina did not open the season ranked number one was 2019-2020. They opened the season number 10. But by December, they were number one. It was a split poll. And then in January, they became the consensus number one team and would have easily won a national championship that year. This team reminds me more of that team than any other team because you had Mad Kiki. You had three-point shooting with Ty Harris. And, you know, you had... Um, Henderson coming off the bench with the second unit. And the Freshies. Pace. And the Freshies and, as Freshies. And Zaya Cook, really, up until her senior year, her best year statistically was her freshman year until her senior year. And so, and that team was not as deep as this team. This team is legitimately 10 players.
1: Yeah. Well, I was thinking at least we stay in the top three. If we're in the top three, I'll be fine. Because I, yeah, I kind of wanted to be the underdog, you know, just kind of sitting there quiet at two or three, but, or even four or five. But you know what? It is what it is. I'd rather just go beat the crap out of everybody we play and let the results speak for themselves.
0: I don't care what we're ranked. I don't care what we're ranked at all, guys. The only thing I want this season is Iowa. I want Iowa. That's it.
2: <clears throat> so you talked about the men's non-con not being very challenging. This <laughs> non-con is very challenging. It always is. Okay, you get Clemson at home. I mean, Brent, uh, I mean, uh uh Clemson's coach, who I I respect, she was at Florida. Um, She'll have to go in the four corners to keep this team from breaking the clock again. I mean, this team's broken the clock every time they play, okay? They they broke the clock against Rutgers. They broke the clock against Notre Dame and today. But then – you're going to go to – you're going to play South Dakota, Mississippi Valley State. That could be two more 100-point games. But then you got that stretch, three of your next four games at North Carolina, at Duke, and Utah in uh, Mohegan, Sun Arena in Connecticut, where there will be a totally anti-South Carolina crowd in attendance. That'll be like a home game for the Utes and they are number five preseason. And they were an elite eight team a year ago. So those three games, they they worry me. And look, this team's probably not gonna go undefeated and nor do I think you need to go undefeated. I think they need to take a couple of lumps along the way to help them build character and not keep a big head all year because nobody was expecting this. Dawn Staley said nobody, not her, not any of the assistants were expecting this because as close as they are to it, you focus on what your shortcomings are, what your deficiencies are. And sometimes you don't see, well, we're not playing against the highlighters. We're just going up and down the floor, and I'm gonna tell you right now. I've watched Iowa. I watched UConn. I watched Stanford, who had an impressive win over uh, Indiana today. I don't. The difference between South Carolina and UConn is South Carolina finally has the skill player, the skill players on the perimeter you, that UConn has. But we're still way tougher than them. They are not that tough, UConn. Just too much finesse up there, too much Princeton offense, and Gino whining to the officials every time somebody gets touched. I mean, he almost blew a gasket today when uh, Nika Mule uh, got barely touched in the nose and she pulled a LeBron James flock on the floor like somebody had just hit her with a baseball bat. They're just not
1: very tough. They'll find out pretty soon in February how, we, how we're how going to treat them. But, hey, they'll get all the headlines because ESPN loves talking Yukon and Iowa, and they'll be like, lonely South Carolina, who are they? But they'll all will find out in time. All right, Keith. Any closing thoughts before we get out of here? The men, VMI tomorrow night in the Colonial Life Arena.
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly you you want to know how this team handles success. Okay, everybody's been patting them on the back. Tomorrow when they go to class, everybody's going to be patting them on the back. telling them how good they are. They just beat Mike Young in Virginia Tech. I do like this team. They are older. They have more talent across the board. You have more players. You have a better backcourt. And once you get Colin Murray Bowles back, a better frontcourt. I mean, last year it was Michi or Gigi or just pray, And a lot of times Gigi was going nine for 28 from the field. Okay. Um I like this team. I like the transfers. Cooper, the big three. Cooper, Studi, and Mac. A guard, a wing, and a big. Colin Murray Borges and the growth of some of the returning players. Jacoby Wright and Zachary Davis. And um, I like this team. I love this women's team. They are going to be fun to watch. And if you hadn't had a chance to listen to the post game and the legacy that Dawn Staley's built, like Tessa Johnson and Chloe Kitts came out for the media availability, and they were just talking about all the love that they feel from the former players and how their own text threads together, even though they weren't like Full Wiley and Tessa and Ja, they weren't around last year. Pow Pow, but the Freshies have been back. They're taking them in. Asia Wilson, all the players that come back, Aaliyah Boston, I mean, they just feel the love. And what you have is you don't have a national defensive player of the year or player of the year in Aaliyah Boston. But you have a bunch of players who have sat and waited for their time and they are hungry to play. And there's a lot of competition because of the depth. And that's just going to make those minutes all that much more precious and iron sharpens iron. This is a deep, talented team. Yeah, Keith. And uh, I think that's that's
0: pretty fitting too because, like, what what was going on at at uh, Colonial Life today with retiring Tiffany Mitchell's jersey and everything, and and all the play like Asia was in the building, the Freshies were in the building, like it felt kind of like what it sometimes feel, f- would feel like in the early to mid two thousands, looking at the Yukon sideline and seeing Tarasi and Sue Bird and just all the Yukon uh, faithful down there, the same way that you would. You would look at the Tennessee sideline in in like in in the early 2000s, and you see Hold Squaw coming back and all of them. It really does feel like Dawn legitimately is building a program that can rival what uh, that 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 could get into the tier of what Gino and Pat Summit did at their respective places, and uh, and and it's just it's wonderful. It's it's just wonderful, and
2: um, yeah, I got it was a great weekend. Let me tell you who else was there today. There was a certain uh, young lady from Camden who was in the building today. Who
1: got a few few chants from the student section and uh, people around the bench, Gamecock bench. She's going to be committing pretty soon, right, Keith? Well, let's just say this. I know that that on Twitter that her decision was coming soon. How about that? We'll leave it at that.
0: so, uh, so let's talk about it from this from this lens here. How kind of crazy is it that last three years, the city of Columbia, basically—I I don't know—we can count Camden into this, but the but the Columbia area, Richland, Kershaw, Lexington County, um, has last three seasons with Watkins at Cardinal Newman and then this past season with full Wiley at Keenan, and then now with this girl at Camden, you know, um, a top 10, top 15 player in the country. That's kind of crazy for a town like
2: Columbia. I mean, Joyce Edwards considered the number one player in the country by most of the premier scouting services. Sarah Strong right up there. By the way, I coached her dad in AAU and coached against him when I was at Bethune and he was at Great Falls. And uh, her DNA, I mean, Allison Feaster's or mom, Danny Strong, who was 6'5", 235. He could have been an NFL tight end if he wanted to be, but he just loved basketball. Allison Feaster went to Harvard. Okay. Um, Danny Strong went to Spartanburg Methodist, and believe us, uh, John Smith and I used to laugh about that all the time. Uh, But Danny Strong, one of the sweetest, nicest kids, never talked trash. Somebody talked trash to him, he'd just smile and say, Okay, let's play, let's see. Um, But I mean, it's incredible. Uh, Malaysia Full Wiley, you look at it. Juju Watkins, Hidalgo, and her, those are probably the three most impactful freshmen in the country, along with Michaela Williams at LSU. I mean, I don't know how you could have had her ranked like 17 or whatever. They had her ranked. Um, And Ashlyn Watkins clearly was a top 10 player. And now Edwards – and so I haven't been on Twitter. I was doing a lot of prep and listening to the post game and everything. But um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll talk about it when, when we get finished recording here. All
1: right. Well, let's just say this: we can all agree that we're all glad that basketball season is here, and it gives us something to get cheerful about on Monday mornings when you go to work.
2: All right, find Keith. Some joy, guys, find some joy.
1: Oh, all right, Keith,
0: can you – Joy found this weekend. Joy found this weekend.
1: (laughs) All right, Keith, tell us where our listeners can hear you um, in the uh, world of Gamecock basketball and football.
2: All right, so Gamecock Pod Daily is uh, hosted on Patreon Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay, I am the longest-running daily Gamecock podcast. Tomorrow will be episode number 13. Hundred and fifty of the pod on Wednesday Gamecock Pod Live. I stream it on YouTube, and it's available on every. It's on every podcast platform: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, Amazon Music. Everywhere on Wednesdays is absolutely free, and um, on Tuesday, we do a podcast, and then Tuesday night, we have, we call it the Garnet Black Town Hall, where we have an interactive Zoom call with as many as 100 patrons in the room, Uh, they sound off, they ask questions, sometimes we have guests, it's very interactive, and then we do that for an hour and then we, we go to overtime. We stop recording and that's where the real scoop gets dropped and probably the language that you wouldn't hear in church uh, is dropped at that time. But uh, love what I do Tuesday, uh, Tuesday nights is literally I look forward to it every single week uh, because that's my Gamecock family it's like going down to a sport, your favorite sports bar, with all your Game Gamecock friends, you're celebrating, you're moaning, you're groaning, you're complaining, you're wanting people fired, whatever the case may be. You can chop it up with all your favorites. And it's a lot of the same people that have been around now. We started doing this during the pandemic, so three years of weekly Zoom calls every Tuesday night that's thats or that's worth you know uh a month's subscription right there which by the way you'll probably spend more on a one of those fancy Starbuck drinks than you would with a monthly subscription uh to Gamecock Pod daily
1: and if you don't, if you you know, we talk about basketball only here, but Keith, you talk about all the sports. But I will say you're probably the in the top two or right behind us in talking Gamecock basketball. And we appreciate having you on the pod this week.
2: And it's one of my favorite things to do is to chop it up and talk Gamecock basketball with you guys. It's awesome.
1: All right, Keith, we'll see you again soon. Sumter, close us out. GBO out. Go Cox. Go Cox.